This morning's sermon is taken from Philippians 2, 14 through 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I, if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of our faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning as a grateful people, people that are living in a free country that you ordained. And we thank you for that, for that opportunity. And we remember those who are suffering in your name throughout the world. We pray that you'll be with them. But Lord, even greater is our blessing that we are your children, that you called us unto yourself. And we're here yearning to hear your word. And we pray that you'll be with Parker this morning as he uh, brings a message for us, a message that we may take out into the darkness as we leave. And we pray that uh, we will use that to reach the unsaved world, the dark world, and that you will use us in a mighty way. And these things we pray in Christ's name. Thank you, Mike. Well, we certainly live in a complex world. Indeed, many of you who have a few more decades under your belt than perhaps I do, look back and you can see some very drastic changes uh, in the last century. Certainly, I think World War II was perhaps the, the hinge which really changed our, our culture we had the 50s where we had conformity at the expense of truth. We had 60s that brought us sexual revolution. The 70s, the legalization of murdering children in the womb. The 80s brought us the AIDS uh, epidemic and the conservative pendulum swing. The 90s brought us technolog- technological revolution with, uh, along with great um, financial prosperity. The 2000s, early 2000s brought us great financial hardship as well as the introduction of international terrorism to our land. And since 2010, we've seen a further um, erosion of the basic values such as marriage and gender identity that we've seen in all of history. A lot has happened. We live in a complex world. And with parents with young kids, um, it's a tough time to be raising kids, isn't it? But we have to be careful not to be historical snobs, too, to think that this is the only complex time that, um, that history has ever faced, that God's people have ever faced. So we think about history. As we think about all the things that God's people have had to deal with, the fact is it's always been a complex time. Life has always been difficult. It's always been hard to know how to walk faithfully as a believer and the word is what we need. We need the word to help us. Today, we, we have so many voices telling us that the word, the Bible, the scriptures are too naive a document to know how to navigate in a world of so much gray. But the reality is that things have been always hard. 
Things have always been difficult. Can you imagine being God's people, being enslaved for 400 years under the powerful Egyptians? Life was complex. Life was certainly complex when God was leading his people through the wilderness through Moses and Aaron and they kept grumbling and complaining when God kept giving them everything they needed. Life was really complex. Have you read the book of Judges? The the heroes, the quote-unquote heroes of Judges are, are not exactly morally upright folks. And then King David, someone who was a man after God's own heart and yet sinned in such public and shameful ways. Life was complex. Or when the Messiah came into the world and he was hung on a cross till he died, life was complex. How how are we supposed to live in such a complex world? How are we supposed to raise our kids in such a complex world? It's not like this complex world we live in surprised the Lord. God has called every one of us in this particular place to this particular time. And he's given us everything we need according to 2 Peter chapter 1. He's given us everything we need for life and for godliness already. So how are we, how are we supposed to live? Well, our text tells us this morning we're, we're called to live in a twisted and crooked generation with the proper manner of life. We're going to talk about what that looks like as we cling to the word of life, to the gospel. I want to start in the middle of our passage this morning and and work my way out. Verse 15 really has the the crux of the argument of the, the clear exhortation that Paul is making. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Deuteronomy 32.5 is the first time we see this, this phrase, crooked and twisted generation. It shows up all throughout the Old Testament. It wasn't just a new thing the Philippians were facing. It's certainly not new for us. We certainly live in the midst of a twisted and crooked generation, but it's nothing new. And therefore, we shouldn't think that it's gotten God by surprise, or that our witness has faltered, or the church is losing. Certainly none of those things are true. The Philippians were living in a very complex time themselves. Remember, this is the original context. Paul is writing to the uh, church in Philippi, which he had founded in Acts chapter 16. They were facing great problems, great uh, pressures from both without and within. Within their own ranks, they were facing dissension and, and division. Can you imagine? This is a first generation church. What in the world are they to do? They've never experienced this before. Weren't things just always supposed to be hunky dory? They were facing persecution from without as we think about the persecution not only from the Jews, but also from the Romans. They were living in a, in a complex city. The, the city of Philippi was a Roman colony and they sought to be just like Rome. And certainly Rome was not the most godly of places. How in the world were they supposed to live in such a, a twisted and complex world? These, these two words, twisted uh, and crooked, are important words. The, the word for crooked, you'll recognize it. The Greek word is scolios, from which we get scoliosis, a curved spine. 
A twisted spine that keeps a person from standing up straight. So too, a twisted generation, one that is twisted morally, never shoots straight. A um, bow hunting season's coming up soon. And if you get out your bow and you, you're, you're making sure it's still sighted in and it just won't shoot straight. If a bow is twisted, it will never shoot correctly. So too, you know, when you're sighting in a rifle, you have to put the rifle on the rest in the same spot every time if you want it to shoot the same way. Because the barrel actually changes shape as you are shooting on a microscopic level. And if it's twisted just a little bit differently than where it was last time, it's going to shoot in a different spot. And so a, a, a world that is twisted is never going to shoot straight. It's never going to hit the mark. It's going to continue to sin and fall short of the glory of God. Why is this? Well, it's because a little something called the fall When Adam and Eve sinned, they threw this world into rebellion. And as such, God's beautiful creation was twisted just a little bit. Just enough to keep it out of alignment. Just enough so that we would no longer hit the mark of God's glory. The second word here, though, is is a little more profound. It's a more active word. Uh, In the ESV, it's it's, um, translated twisted. It means perverse or perverted. In the days of um, sail, uh, the main armament of a ship was an iron cannon. Depending on how big the ship was, it could be anywhere from 10 to 135 of these things. Now there's a problem because they were made of iron and iron is susceptible to a lot of problems. And one of them is called honeycombing. A honeycombed iron cannon is one that is forged incorrectly and it has pockets of air inside the iron. The whole thing is perverted. The thing by its nature is broken. It's not just that it's twisted. If a, twi- if a barrel is twisted or, or crooked just a little bit, it's going to shoot inaccurately. But a barrel that is very, by its very nature perverted and an error, a honeycomb barrel will explode, killing its gun crew and all those around them. And so the problem with this generation, the problem with our hearts apart from Christ is not just that we're twisted and we're just missing the mark a little bit, it's that our hearts are perverted. And they're by their very nature, they're broken. And so as you look out at this world, as the Philippians looked out at their world, and they wondered, what in the world is going on? We only have to look at our hearts apart from Christ. For who's the problem? Apart from Christ, we just need to look in the mirror. So there they were living in Philippi, a place of rampant sexual promiscuity, a place of false worship of um, false gods, of idols, a place of, um, of persecution. It was a wealthy town and, and wealth brings a lot of problems, doesn't it? If you're not walking with the Lord. So does Paul say, hey, huddle together and don't go outside. Don't have anything to do with them. No, that's not what he says. He's going to use a couple of different metaphors to describe to them how they are meant to live. And we see this as well in verse 15. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish 
in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. This first one is, is holiness. We're going to summarize three words here and say it's holiness. We are called, the Philippians were called to live in obedience. Now this is tough, isn't it? It's tough not to join in in the twisted and crooked generation, especially when we have come out of that. And we feel the tug of our old masters of the old things we struggled with. They, they continue to tug at us even if we've been regenerated, even if we've been forgiven and saved by Christ. It's still hard to walk in holiness, isn't it? We're called to be blameless. This word means to be morally pure. Instead of joining the fallen, twisted generation in their sinful habits, we're to be careful not to be drawn into it. We're called to be innocent. This, this word literally means to be unmixed with evil. You know, you di- make different metals strong or stronger in different ways. Uh, do you know how you make copper stronger? You add tin and it becomes bronze. In fact, it's so strong. Now, tin and copper are very, very soft metals, but if you just combine these two soft metals, you get something you can make cannons out, out of, bronze. But for the believer, we are, made not, we are not made strong by adding something to it. We're like steel. You know, the purer the steel, the stronger it is. And so we too are called to be unmixed. No alloys mixed in. No evil mixed in. We are strongest when we are pure morally. This is the same word that is used in Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Being innocent doesn't mean naive. But you know this context of Matthew, Jesus was sending his disciples out. He was calling them to be pure and blameless and innocent but he was not calling them to be outside of the world. He was calling them to go out into the world to tell others about the great news of the gospel, to to preach the the gospel of the kingdom of God. Even in in our call to be holy, even in our call to be blameless and innocent, it is a call to be holy and blameless and innocent in the midst of a twisted generation so that we might be, the second metaphor here, lights shining in the darkness. If we think about Jesus, for he is our example in both of these things. He has fulfilled both of these commandments for us. For he is the the lamb without spot or blemish, a sacrificial term. The the sacrifice to Old Testament had to be without blemish. So here is our Savior. He is without blemish because he is perfectly holy. He is perfectly innocent. And he lays down his life for us. And who is he? John 1 tells us he is the light. This, this light came into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so too we, we are called to be light shining in this dark world. Throughout scripture, darkness means to be lost. Darkness means to be opposed to the Lord. Darkness means to be ignorant, but not just kind of benignly ignorant spiritually ignorant of, of the Lord and his word. We shine as, as, as lights as we walk in a manner that is different than the world around us. We shine as lights when we tell others about the true light of the world, our Savior Jesus. We spread the light, send forth the light, hold forth the light is the only one who will save us from the darkness apart from which we love all too much. Um, when I was in college, 
they had just built or renovated the basketball stadium at Alabama. And so they paid students $100 a pop to come and hold a candle for a three-minute ceremony uh, when they were unveiling this thing to all the big donors. They spent, uh, I don't know how many there were, there was like $30,000 they spent on these things just, just for these three minutes. It was crazy. Uh, I mean, I'm very thankful for it. Uh, but you know, the th- we were just holding these little itty-bitty little candles with a LED light on top and the whole place was dark and, and just these small little candles lit up so much of the arena just because all the other lights were extinguished. You know, I have on my watch um, Indiglo. I don't know if you know about this wonderful invention that uh, I can push the stem of my watch and it'll light up in the back. And, it, and it's a great flashlight in the middle of the night when I need to go check on the kids. The thing is, if we were in uh, Bryant Diddy Stadium, Jordan Hare, wherever, and all the lights were extinguished and there weren't any, any stars and the moon was out, it was completely dark and the place was full, but on the 50-yard line there was one person with an Indiglo light. You know that everybody could see that light. Even a small light in the midst of darkness can be seen by all. When we go out into our workplaces, when we go out into where we work, play, where we live, it's awfully dark. But even a small light, even a small word, even a small witness can have such an amazing impact for all of eternity, for those who are around us. It doesn't take much. We are called to be lights. We're called to be holy. But here's the tough one. We're called to do it with a good attitude. It's just like when your mom or your dad tells you to clean up, and you're grumbling. You say, I'm going to do it, but I don't want to. You ever said that one too? You might think it, and sometimes you you might even say it. We're told in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or questioning. You know, obedience without a good attitude is not obedience. God doesn't just look, look at what's on the outside. He looks at what's on, inside the heart. So we can't, you know, skate by because the Lord knows what's inside of us. You know, college and even seminary, we made a, a sport out of grumbling made it an art. You know, we sit around the lunch table and we'd say, oh, I've got three tests this week. Oh, you think that's bad. You know, I've got four tests this week. Your paper has to be 10 pages. Mine has to be 30. You know, we'd, we'd grumble and we'd complain. We'd make a sport out of it. The thing is that all grumbling and complaining, all disputing, all arguing, is not ultimately against your teacher or your parents or your workplace, your boss. It's ultimately against the Lord. See, grumbling, the the root of grumbling is discontent. Discontent comes with not um, rejoicing where the Lord has us in life. And when joined with questioning or arguing or disputing, depending on how your translation puts it, it's like fuel on a fire. The Israelites grumbled and complained, murmured, That's the Old Testament translation, murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. But Moses and Aaron and the Lord all knew that it wasn't against Moses and Aaron. It was ultimately against the Lord. Deuteronomy 16, 8, your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. 
A grumbling light isn't very bright, is it? Instead of grumbling and questioning, we are called to rejoice as we are in the midst of a twisted generation, as we are in the midst of a, of a hard world to live in, a complex world, we're called to rejoice. In fact, we alone have every reason to rejoice. In the light of, in the midst of all of this craziness, in the midst of things not going the way we might want to, we have the sure hope of the gospel. Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. Verse 18, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. See, in the midst of a a, a twisted and crooked generation, we have the answer. It's not us. We can't point to ourselves. The answer is Christ. The true light of the world. The bread of life. The door, the sheep gate, the great shepherd, the great I am. That's a plug for Wednesday night, by the way. Come, come join us. We have joy, we can rejoice, because ultimately we know the hope of heaven. We won't always live in a twisted and crooked generation. But indeed, our king, our king will come rejoice. The Lord is king. We have every reason to rejoice because our Lord is King and He's coming back one day to set all things right. Then we will see Him as He really is. We do this all not on our own strength, verse 16. We do it as we hold fast to the word of life. The word of life here specifically doesn't just refer to Scripture. It refers to the gospel. It is a thing that gives us life. It is a thing that brings us life. Because the gospel is all about Jesus. And when we seek to be light shining in the world, it is about Jesus and not about us. When we seek to be holy, it is not about us and being pious and, and letting others see how great we are. That's certainly not the purpose. It is so that we might shine forth for Jesus as we cling desperately to the gospel, the great news that Jesus has come into the world. Because here's the thing, we aren't holy and we, we are dark apart from the Lord. We don't even know we're blind. But Christ has come. And Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. And this is the hope that we have. Do you know this hope? Do you know this gospel? Is your heart still dark? Or has he shined into the darkness? Christ will save you. Christ will raise you from the dead. And Christ will welcome you into his his heaven forever in the great kingdom of light. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you've forgiven and saved such, such a wretch as I, as we all are. We rejoice in the midst of complexities of life. We rejoice because we have the hope of heaven. We rejoice because we have the gospel. We rejoice because we have salvation. Calls us, Lord, to live as light shining in the darkness. Calls us, Lord, to be innocent and blameless. You have declared us to be these things in Christ already. Help us, Lord, to live them out that others might come to know you and we might witness a great revival in our midst. In the name of Jesus, amen.